over time, over about a year, it just turned into this momentum of pushing it because I was emotionally distraught. And then it turned into, wait a minute, this feels so good. Oh, wait a minute, I'm getting faster. Oh, wait a minute, I'm getting faster and I'm getting confident. That was Andrea Duke, and this is the Running On Ohm podcast. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon, and I'm curious to know what you eat before, during, or after your workout. My fuel of choice is Generation You Can, today's podcast sponsor, whose powder drink mixes and bars give me constant energy throughout my workouts. Generation You Can is powered by Super Starch, a revolutionary carbohydrate that slowly releases into your body and keeps your blood sugar steady so that you don't have those sugar spikes and crashes like a lot of the other gels, bars, and sports drinks on the market. Generation You Can allows your body to burn fat for fuel because it doesn't spike the fat storage hormone insulin so you can get fit while you train. My favorite part of Generation You Can, though, is that there's no stomach upset involved. Whether I eat their chocolate peanut butter bar as my pre-workout snack, take a sip of their lemonade super starch drink mix during my run, or recover after with Generation You Can's vanilla cream protein drink mix, Generation You Can super starch is really gentle on the stomach and contains no added sugars, is non-GMO, and gluten-free. Whether you're wanting to complete your first triathlon, love lifting weights at the gym, or training for an ultramarathon, or just a health nut looking to optimize your recovery and body composition, Generation You Can's products are for you. And they're offering a special offer for Rue listeners where you can save 15% off any You Can product, their drinks, bars, electrolyte sticks, all of it, simply by visiting generationyoucan.com slash youcanrue. Or use the code UCANRU, that's U-C-A-N-R-O-O, at checkout to get 15% off any UCAN product on the online store. See this episode's show notes for more information on how you can stay healthy, energized, and fit with UCAN's innovative nutrition. Now, let's dive into our show. Hey friends, if this is your first time tuning into Running on Home, welcome. And if this is your 185th time, welcome back. I'm your host, Julia Hanlon. And what do we do here on Running on Ohm? Well, every week I bring you conversations that are beyond just the nuts and bolts of yoga and running. Here at Running on Ohm, we dive deep with wellness pioneers who explore the mind-body-spirit connection through different mediums, from actors, meditators, musicians, athletes, authors, and entrepreneurs. Some of the people I bring on for all of you, you may know and revere, and others are really undiscovered gems. So thank you for trusting me with your headspace and your heart space twice a week. It means more than you know. Today's guest, Andrea Duke, is the embodiment of feminine fears. So what does feminine fierce even mean? Well, you're going to have to listen to today's conversation to find out. But Andrea brings strength and confidence to all that she does. She's an Olympic trials qualifying marathoner, a mother of two, and a professor with a PhD in sports communication. Andrea most recently qualified for the 2016 Olympic trials that happened actually last month in LA. We recorded this conversation the day before she ran in the trials, which was actually a really neat way to capture what the race and the journey to get to the starting line meant to her. Andrea has run over 45 marathons, but unlike many other elite runners who transition from collegiate running straight into professional careers, Andrea only recently started to identify as an elite runner as she had some breakthroughs in her racing after her two kids were born. We dig into how Andrea balances being a mother with a high-level training 
Andrea talks about her passion for the image of the female athlete in social media, and she gets into her PhD work on gender issues and sports and entertainment and how she puts this into practice both in her own running and as a college professor. Andrea also reveals why she's chosen to transition to obstacle course racing after many years of marathoning. If you're not a runner, I'd still encourage you to tune in. This conversation is about sourcing your strength in your life, even in the darkest of times, and ultimately celebrating the journey of all the miles along the way. If my conversation with Andrea moves you, reach out on Twitter and share this conversation with your running buddy, your mailman, your mom, your friend, or someone you know who's ready to be inspired to embrace their feminine fears. Thank you for listening to this intro. Thank you for supporting Running On Own. And let's dive deep together in today's conversation with Andrea Duke. Always has such beautiful um, life lessons and so beautiful advice. And I remember before I went to Boston, like she and I kind of had like an email exchange. And then after Boston, she and I had an email exchange. You know, she was very like, almost, I don't want to say motherly with me, um, but because I'm so new and novice in the sport, mm -hmm. I'm just, I was like, what am I doing? And I'm freaking out. And then afterwards I was like, I want to quit, you know, and she was very good at kind of like giving perspective and in terms of this world. So, um, I just, I don't know. I always love to hear what she has to say. <laughs> so yeah. I think that was a great kind of connection that you did with her. I think a lot of women really kind of lean on her. So yeah, I'm know. stoked. We recorded our second one recently, yeah. so hopefully it'll be a monthly thing yeah. for us. Yeah. 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 So you say you're novice to the sport yet, mm -hmm. like reading about your story, like you've completed 46 marathons mm -hmm. or plus. So that's like, to me, that's not a novice. Mm -hmm. So what do you mean by being a novice? I guess novice, I'm, I'm thinking more about, um, the elite side of things, the professional side of things. Um, no, I'm not novice to marathoning at all. I mean, I'm coming up on 14 years. Um, and yeah, the trials will be my 47th. So, um, but within all that are five hour full marathons, um, you know, ones that I dressed up in, um, and dressed up in costume and, you know, like I've always said, it's kind of, it was more of a social experiment for me. Um, you know, I, where do I want to travel? Oh, I have a free ticket on Southwest. What marathon do I want to go to? So it was very much a social, um, environment for me. So when I say a novice, it, it truly means, um, the idea of just the elite status and, um, and not knowing about fluids and technical meetings and, um, you know, all these kind of hush hush rules of, um, well, no music and you do this and you don't do this and you are expected to do this and you're not supposed to talk to people. And it's like, it's just kind of that sense of, and even strategy. Um, you know, I talked to my coach about, um, you know, what do I want to do on this race? And he, we can lay out a plan and he can say, but when it comes to game time, you're the only one that's going to be able to decide like at the moment what you want to do and how you feel. So it is very much, and he says, but that all comes with experience over time. And you learn at what point is your max? At what point are you running too much? At 10 miles, how do you have that perceived effort? And that's what, that's the stuff I don't know. That's what I don't, um, I don't know about my limits. I mean, have I been able to go as far as I can? I have no idea. You know, is 241 my limit? I don't know because I haven't had enough time and experience to really truly know like where is the point where I just drop and fall? Like I haven't had that. And I'm, I'm kind of thinking that when you have a lifetime of 
college and professional, you know, running for a decade and whatnot. Like you have understanding and, and learning experiences and in terms of elite races, I think this is like my technically like my fifth elite race, if even that. So, um, so that's what I mean by novice is that I'm very, very, very new to this and I'm still starstruck and I'm still like, you know, totally confused about things and rules and, you know, people just know, well, that's just what you do. And I'm like, well, I didn't know that you just do that, you know, and I don't know about decorating my bottles. You know, I don't, I don't know these things. So I kind of have to learn by doing that other people just did second nature to them. Totally. Yeah. I mean, that's, it's kind of beautiful though, that like you are newer to the sport. Um, or you're having almost a second birth in the sport mm -hmm. of sorts mm -hmm. from like your whole evolution has really changed from your inspiration behind why probably you run now versus why you did then and the competitive fire and the way your training structured. Like it's all really different than it was 47 marathons ago. Completely. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it's, um, it's one of those where I may or may not have trained for a marathon. I mean, I remember there's several handful of marathons where I – probably just kind of like showed up and, and was, you know, dying at mile 10. And I just kind of said, well, it doesn't matter. I can like walk every water stop. I mean, I remember there were some where I hadn't trained properly and I just say like, okay, well, I'm going to run until the next water stop and then walk and then run to the next water stop and walk. Um, or stopping at every bathroom if I wanted to, or eating, you know, Cheez-Its from the side of the road from a kid, you know, at mile 15. And so it was very different. And even, you know, the rituals of what do I eat the night before? Like at that point back then, like who cared, you know? I mean, it was just getting up and having fun. And now it's very, I can't eat too much. I can't do this. I can't do, I mean, there's so many more can'ts. Um, that I'm trying to change because I need to also live and find that balance between enjoying the experience, but then also performing at a high level. Does um, that feel impressive, those can'ts ever? Impressive? Oppressive. Oppressive, yes. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, but I think to myself that in some ways they're worth it and it's temporary. So I try to, I justify it in my brain, um, but then also think that, um, that on the flip side, it, yeah, it'll be worth it. And I can eat what I want and do what I want if we want to say that um, kind of afterwards. But um, it's worth it, I think. So can we go back in time a little bit to your running background? Like what even inspired you to run your first marathon? Mm -hmm. um, well, I, my father was a runner or is a runner, I should say. He still is. Um, he's in his mid-70s. So yeah, it's amazing. Um, and so... I knew about running, kind of lived running with him. Um, I remember running around the neighborhood when I was, you know, second, third grade, running, you know, 100 meters and saying, are we done yet? And do I have to go all the way around the block? You know, very much, um, you know, it was more of a chore. Um, and then kind of eventually got into it, eventually started running, um, liked, loved it, was never good. Um, that's what I kind of tell everybody. A lot of times I get asked to go talk to like cross country teams. And I just earlier in the week, um, talked to a bunch of, um, young girls, uh, at a kind of, a um, underprivileged organization and, and they were, you know, learning about sports and the importance of sports. And I said, you know, I mean, I, here I am where I am now, granted I'm in my late thirties, but, um, 
I was never good. I mean, I, I kind of was on sport teams to have numbers um, or basketball. You're tall. Okay, thanks. You know, you'll be on the team. But with running, I mean, I was never I mean, I was never good, or I don't know if I ever found the fire. I don't know if I ever um, kind of had the desire to go more. I just loved the act of running. Um, So I just ran and kind of ran to participate. Um, But when it came to actual marathoning, um, it was soon after, um, well, 2002 was my first marathon. And the reason that I started or I did that marathon was because um, I was at Georgetown getting my master's degree, and I had an internship at the Pentagon. And I started that internship just weeks after 9-11. And I wasn't there when it happened. (coughs) Bless you. Um, I wasn't at the Pentagon when it happened, but I lived about a mile away. So kind of saw the smoke, kind of, um, you know, of course, living in D.C. and in America, you just kind of get influenced by it. But um, started working there just weeks after. And um, I was the first intern of of that kind in the media room. So with it being kind of all hands on deck, um, they treated me almost like a um, like an employee, like a um press officer at that point. So I walk in and on my first day, they're just like, throw me in the, you know, throw me in with the wolves and just like, you do it. Like go research for this press conference that we have for an hour and go do this. And hi, wait, what's your name? You're the new intern. Okay, great. Thank you. Go do this, go do this. And so for two years, um, you know, I was very much almost like an employee, almost like a press officer for the, for the department of defense. And, and so I was very stressed out. Um, and very emotionally taxing on me. Um, didn't really have moved to DC, didn't know anybody, um, and just almost lived at the Pentagon and, um, then went to school. So, um, needless to say, like I said, very stressed out. Um, and so my advisor at the time, she was a big marathoner and a um, Ironman. And so she just said, you know, so, so I needed to find a way to release. And so I started running and I would run with her on the weekends and we'd go out on the CNO trail and kind of do, you know, runs along the, the, you know, the, the mall and, you know, all the monuments and just kind of talking about research, talking about the thesis, that kind of thing, but also talking about life. And I just found that, that doing that, released kind of that tension and that, um, stress. And so one day I was in her office and talking about my thesis and like, what am I going to do? And I just broke down and just was crying. I was just like, I can't do this. I can't do this. And she's like, what's wrong? What's wrong with the thesis? It's wonderful. And I just said, I just, I can't handle all this. And so then that's when she said, well, why don't, you know, you, you need something. And so she suggested this Washington DC marathon, which that was, just, I mean, literally months after 9-11. And it was, so 9-11 was obviously September 2001. I ran March 2002. So she suggested this marathon to me with, what was it, almost like less than three months, less than around two months before. And so I signed up, hadn't run anything more than 10 miles. So, um, yeah. And when I told my dad, who's a marathon runner, he's, he's done, I mean, probably my dad's done 50 plus. And he was like, no big deal. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. And so I did the first one because of the stress. Um, and so I did it with my dad, which was 
the most incredible experience, both incredibly, but incredibly awful, but incredibly awesome at the same time. And so that was the first um, marathon was right after 9-11. And it was in DC um, and it was on Palm Sunday. So it was like all these things and there's American flags everywhere, you know, um, fire trucks were out, police officers were, I mean, it was almost like the celebration of DC. I mean, uh, American flags like draped over the course. You know, I mean, it was very um, patriotic, patriotic yeah. um, which just was very emotional with that, but then emotional with what I was doing and what I was experiencing. And so um, I, I always tell everybody that when I crossed the finish line, I just turned to my dad and was bawling my eyes out and said like, I don't ever want to do this again, you know, and hated it, hated it. And I think like three days later, I said, okay, when can I do another one? And then I signed up for the next one and I did another one in November and then it just started. So yeah. the, the yeah. love of it started. <laughs> I got the bug. Yeah, that's so cool. That's amazing. So I've read a lot about how for you, I mean, you're a mother of two kids. Mm-hmm. Obviously your kids are a really big part of your life from what I see on social media is mm-hmm. you have a blast with them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. What was it like after your kids were born? Like how did that change your relationship to running? Um. It became less of a getaway, um, less of a um, kind of, I don't want to say a chore because running, I don't ever felt like was a chore, but it was, it just turned into kind of like a, okay, let's go run. Oh, you know, kind of more of a a task to do every day Mm. just because I just knew like, okay, does this run? Um, but when it came to the kids, because I was taking time away from them, it almost turned into, I need a little bit more of a purpose because if I'm getting away from my kids, it has to be worth something. So it turned, I mean, and with also the idea that it was again, like a little bit of a stress reliever. I mean, I love being a mom, but being a mom is stressful. Um, it's the most stressful job, you know, ever. So, um, so being able to, remember like I need this to be a productive time because I'm away from my kids but then also it's me time it's it's away from everything it's allowing me to have my moment without anybody I don't say anybody around but just kind of my time whether it's to totally zone out or to figure out what I have to do and figure out problems or whatnot so they gave me a lot more purpose for what I was doing um, and then as they grew older and as I then got two, um, it, they gave me so much more perspective. And I think mm. that's the key element, um, that has made a huge difference from when I started and when I started running and where I am now, that they gave me the confidence to be a good runner. Um, because it's one of those that like, if I can juggle full-time job, a baby on my arm and like flipping pancakes and like. So I'm like, you know, I can do everything I feel like. Um, So they gave me the confidence, but then the perspective of, um, you know, if I have a bad run, I still have to come home and and be with them. And I still have to give them everything if I'm tired. Um, I have to find a fifth wind for them. Um, But then if I have a bad run or a bad race, however people define bad, um, I still have to turn around and um, be good for them and be happy for them. And what really matters is, is it my time or is it my kids and my family? So, um, you know, and, and I kind of joke and say that with this, you know, with the trials, it's like, I can run the best race of my life. 
And I could go home and say to my kids, like, oh my gosh, like, did, mommy did, 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 and they'll say, awesome, what did you bring me? You know, I mean, it's like they're more worried, like, <laughs> yeah. my son's more worried about, um, like, did I get him a Raiders football or did I get him, you know, like a Lakers basketball or, well, you know, whatever it may be. And my daughter's like, um, you know, did you see Frozen while you were there? You know, I mean, it's more like that. And to them, it's just perspective of like what really matters. So um, I think that's the big thing is just the confidence into running, the confidence as a runner, um, kind of more of a purpose for everything that I do. But the big thing in terms of running in like life is just the perspective. And to also like see that you're an example to your children. Mm -hmm. That the senses that you mean you spoke to, like whether you have a bad race or a good race, mm -hmm. just the fact that like you're getting out there, you're putting mm -hmm. in the work day after day, mm -hmm. they may not mean, may not understand totally the significance of it, mm -hmm. but to know that their mom's like committed and devoted to mm -hmm. something is really beautiful. Oh, huge. And that's something, again, they're seven and four. So it's a little bit of, they can understand what I'm doing. I mean, my daughter always jokes and says like, you know, you won the race, right? And like, my mom is so fast, like faster than anybody, you know, faster than Iron Man, you know, I mean, they, they just, you know, they think that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm already an Olympian, you know, so, um, but I think that they see me working hard, they see me not quitting, they see me reaching for goals. And it's one of those that, while they may not fully understand it now, um, they're going to see, like, I'm going to be able to show them, look what I did, look what how I didn't have this perfect pipeline and trajectory. Um, you know, I wasn't the expected mold to be a runner, but look what I did. And um, teaching them the whole idea of never giving up and, you know, believing in yourself, all those kind of mantras that, that we live by of... Um, you know, if you want to do it, why not? Why can't you? So I think they see that in a very kind of surface way of mommy works hard, mommy runs fast, mommy's doing really cool things. Um, but then be able to to take that and show them later in life. Um, and then when they have events, when they're 12, 13, 15, 21, 30, be able to say, okay, well, well, let me look, let me show you what happened like back then. And being able to have these life experiences for as a mom to be able to teach them, but then also have them be able to look back and like you just said, like have my lessons or my life experiences be lessons for them. Completely. Mm -hmm. And you also spoke earlier about how like this is really your fifth race as an elite. So what was that turning point for you where you're like, okay, wow, now I've entered this whole new phase with my running where I could go home and tell my kids like mom ran as in the elite division. Like what happened there? Yeah, it was a little, um, it kind of was an unfortunate uh, experience that I guess blossomed into this. And so that's why, again, it's very much a perspective. Um, my daughter was born February 2012. Um, and almost exactly a month after that, so I had a four-week-old, exactly a month after that, my son, who was three at the time, um, he shattered his femur in just kind of a silly little mishap um, that he was just running around with his cousin and trip and fell and shattered his femur in, in two places. And so he had to be in traction for 10 days um, and then in a hospital bed, like laying still on his back, not moving for 10 days. Um, and then after that was in a full body cast for about three months. And so having the mixture of a newborn, a four week old, and then having a son in a full body cast 
who couldn't go to school, had to go back into diapers, couldn't move around, like um, my my then husband and then my parents, like we had to pick him up everywhere we went and he had to be in a wheelchair. I mean, I had to get a new car because he couldn't fit in a car. So it was major life changes. So I had a newborn, I had this, and I was still teaching full time. I mean, I went back to work two weeks after my daughter, um, because I was in the middle of a semester teaching. So, um, it was these, all of this put together, um, kind of like, almost in a way the paralleled 9-11, like I was so stressed out and being, seeing my son having night terrors and seeing my son like not have an appetite because he can't move. And, you know, he's trying to like crawl his way through like the living room to go get something, you know, it's like as a mom, like I can't take anything away. Like I can't take his pain. And that must've been traumatic. It, it really was. And I mean, luckily he doesn't remember anything. Like he kind of remembers like, oh yeah, my super pants, you know, and like he would see pictures and go, oh yeah, I remember like, didn't you shave my head? Because we had to shave his head because his hair was so tangled in the back from laying in the hospital bed for so long, you know, and here I am like in the hospital, like trying to cut his hair and it looked like he had patches of hair everywhere. And then eventually it was like, okay, let's just shave his head, you know? So, so, you know, having a daughter and having the, just the stresses of a newborn along with a full-time job and then seeing my son like go through these, um, you know, this emotional, um, I mean, it was, yeah, it was hard. And so I then turned to running to release it all, to kind of, um, and I wasn't, I'm not going to say that I was angry at the situation. It was just kind of like I was, I had all these emotions and I didn't know what they were. Was it sadness? Was it anger? Was it frustration? Um, I had all this bottled up that I knew I had to release. And so I started running and, and you know, in a way like lifting. Um, and that's where I kind of started to find my love of lifting. But um, so I just ran and ran and I started running harder and I started running faster because I either had a certain number of, you know, like an hour max because my I had to get back for my daughter or, you know, I had to get on the treadmill at 5 a.m. But I had to, I only had 5 to 5.45 because then I had to get up and get ready for work and that kind of stuff. So I was very, so I only had a limited amount of time, but I had so much emotion that I just powered it out. And so it, over time, over about a year, it just turned into this momentum of um, pushing it because I was emotionally kind of um, distraught. And then it turned into, wait a minute, this feels so good. Oh, wait a minute, I'm getting faster. Oh, wait a minute, th- I'm getting faster and I'm getting confident. Oh my gosh, what am I doing? And I'm now down to like seven minute miles after just a few months. And and he had his accident in March and in October, I ran my first marathon um, and got third place at it. And um, got like a 325, which was about a six or eight minute PR from um, two years before, which before I even had my daughter, you know, so here I am. And then it just kind of, it was almost like a beautiful avalanche. And then I was like, well, wait a minute, if I can do this, what can I do? And so this unfortunate accident caused so much fire in me um, that I then used it to produce something so beautiful through like these negative yet um like motherly instinct emotions so 
Yeah. I mean, you were really fighting demons, it mm-hmm. sounds like, during that time. It was. And running was your release. It was. And it was more demons, like, as a mom. Like, I yes. just. And again, it wasn't anything, like, I wasn't depressed. I wasn't sad. I wasn't angry. It was just more, I was, I couldn't help him. And I, you know, I mean, I could pick him up and I would, you know, there'd be moments where we'd take him out in the wheelchair to dinner and people would stare. And I almost, you know, I'm very a non-confrontational person, but I almost got to the point where I wanted to go up to these people and say, what are you staring at? He just has a body cast on, you know? And then I got to the point where I tried to go and, you know, go to Target and find some shorts, like big XL shorts that I could put over him so I could cover it up. And then I'm thinking, why am I trying to hide this, you know? So you could, I mean, I was very much like in like motherly bird protective mode of um, what he's staring, you know, and there's nothing wrong with him. And, you know, and so it kind of, that fueled me too, just like, why, why is this, why is this so weird to people? It's not like he's in a cast. Yes. And and luckily it was temporary for him. Um, but it was just, it was three months of just pure agony. So Wow, that's a really intense time. Yeah. <laughs> but I feel like those hardships and experiencing that kind of pain in your heart for someone you mm-hmm. love, I mean, that only, I think, brings this sense of um, strength to mm-hmm. one's running and one's physical practice. Because I feel like they feed off of each other. Like mm-hmm. mentally tough times in our lives make us stronger for when we're out there mm-hmm. on the trails, on the roads, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You've mentioned you're a professor, and I know you work in the sports realm. Tell mm-hmm. me a little bit more about like what you teach and who you teach. Yeah, sure. So um, when I when I went to Georgetown, I thought I wanted to go into political communication because I love po- politics. I love studying politics. Um, but then being in D.C., I quickly learned like, okay, no, I really don't like politics. And so, yeah, so yeah, you, you <laughs> learn, yeah, 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 I'm like, I, I don't, I don't like this life. Um, so it turned out that my advisor, who was the one that got me into marathon running, she said, well, if you're going to study something, it needs to be something that you truly love. Like, what do you love? And mm. I said, well, I, you know, I love to run. I love health. I love, you know, kind of the idea of like entertainment and sports and, and movies, you know, and like that. So we were trying to brainstorm and she, she, I remember her saying like, do you realize that you can study sports? And I was like, you can study sports? Like what? Cause I mean, in undergrad, I did mass communication and I knew like I could study communicating. I can study like, you know, because again, my dad was like, what do you want to study? I was like, I don't know. Like, I like to talk and I like people. And, you know, like, well, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Um, so we just then had this thing of like, you can study sports. And so when I wanted to go back and again had, I don't know what I want to do with my life, those moments. Sometimes I still have those moments. I still do now. Like, what do I want to do with my life? I think life? we but all have yeah, those moments. Yeah, like every year. What do I want to do with my life? Um, you know, I knew that I, I liked – you know, my, both my parents are physicians, but they're academic physicians. And so they were teachers and my grandparents were teachers. And so I, I remember as a little girl, like I like setting up my animals and like being on the chalkboard and it's not really the bossy side of teaching. It's more of like, I like, I like being able to change and educate. And so, um, when I kind of had a moment with my dad of like, what do I want to do with my life? And he was like, well, why don't you go back to school? Like, what's wrong with more education? This is coming from two physicians who have, you know, umpteen degrees to themselves. And so um, and so I said, okay, well, and my dad said, why don't you go get a PhD? And I was like, what? That's like a lot of education. And he's just like, you know, why not? And so I said, why not? And um, so I studied and researched and found out, you know, what are the best um, 
best colleges and programs that have mass communications. But if I can study sports and sports, maybe an entertainment, which I love like pop culture and studying why are we so obsessed with celebrities and why does it matter and kind of the emotional reactions that we have to entertainment, like that whole aspect of kind of entertainment psychology. Um, I studied and found out that um, one of the best programs is at University of Alabama and kind of the one of the creators of entertainment uh, entertainment theory is was that it was at Alabama and then one of the premier researchers in um, sport communication as well as like body image in sports, which is something I was very interested in. She was there or she is still there. Um, and so I ended up um, figuring out that I could create, I could combine my interest in uh, entertainment mass communication with a degree in sports. And so I then got my PhD in kind of a semi-dual in sport management and mass communication, which they kind of turned into, it was a interesting I was the first one to do it. So they then it's kind of basically like I have my PhD in sport communication. So it's mass communication mixed with sport media or sport management. Sorry. So I ended up studying um, gender issues in entertainment and sports. That's kind of my specialty is um, the idea of how our genders uh, mm. uh, shown in the media, uh, both in sports and entertainment from masculinity, femininity, um, expectations, um, stereotypes, that type of stuff. So I took that and used it in all my research, used it in my dissertation. And then I turned that into being able to kind of have a niche of, um, understanding that element within all of mass communication. So I teach, um, I'm an adjunct professor, so I didn't want anything tenured just because of, um, I just wanted to have the focus of my kids. Um, so I adju- I do adjunct at, uh, at two universities, depending on their needs. Um, so I do sport management classes where it's kind of sport and society, uh, sport media, um, kind of uh, more like social social aspects of sports. And then at another university, I do mass communication and specialize in communication theory and technology and communication and kind of various um, mass media um, topics. And so it's very fun to be able to take elements of what I've experienced as an athlete and um, turn that into, um, well, you know, I studied the um, image of the female athlete in sports and in social media. So here I am now, a female athlete using social media. So what is the image I want to portray? So it's almost like I'm living out my dissertation right now, which is kind of eerie uh, and kind of so now sometimes I'm going, oh my gosh, I'm doing exactly what I wasn't supposed to do. Like, what did my dissertation say? Like, women aren't supposed to do this and I'm doing it. Oh wait, but I am doing it in this way. You know, so it's interesting to kind of live out my to years have of have so rape. much self-awareness yes. in this I sometimes find that self-awareness can be almost paralyzing, though. It is, because sometimes I like I have something I want to post, and I'm like, what does this have to do with anything? Or does this? what image does this portray? Or how is this beneficial to, I don't want to say my brand, but how is this beneficial to who I, who I am? And your community yes. that you're creating around. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's something I think I think about a lot with the podcast and just with, you know, following you and Wazelle on social media is like, the posts we put out there, like, what is the purpose of mm-hmm. them? Is it to inspire other people? Is it to feed our own ego? Mm-hmm. Like, what are they motivated by? Because mm-hmm. it's, I was talking with a friend, I think, last week about the fact that 
like some of my most liked posts are like pictures of me in sports bras. And I probably have like five <laughs> pictures on my Instagram of me in sports bras. And I was like, that's so that's so frustrating to me mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. That that's what like gets likes. Mm-hmm. No, it is. And it's and it's that that when I put something out there that is meaningful, it you know, gets 86. But then I can post something where it's like me on a run and it's like 400. And I'm like, what's the di- like, like real dude. life versus like a staged run photo? But it is one of those that, um, you know, it's a snapshot of life. And at what point is it a created uh, versus a real snapshot? And what's important to us? And it's a very interesting um, kind of uh, challenge to be able to say, you know, what, and especially now, like with the trials, at what point do I, as somebody who is still new to this, like if I was one of my um, viewers, if we want to say that, what would I want to see? Like two years ago, what from an athlete, like I would love to see the credentials. I would love to see this. I would love to see what are you eating, that kind of stuff. But at what point do I shut things off and say, I have to live and I have to have my own protected space versus being able to, because I'm so genuine, I believe, online. Like I want to, what would I want as a fan from somebody like me? I would want to see the inside workings and what are you doing and how are you doing things and what is life like and, um, you know, the, the jacuzzi last night, what did you do? What did you say? What were you, what are you thinking? Like all this kind of stuff. It's like, but at some point, like I have to learn to shut off. And you have to just live your life. Yeah, like, no, that is, and I've, I've, I feel like um, I've done better, um, being more aware of things. Um, I have someone in my life who's trying to help me shut things off and like live versus having to show, like, you know, it's very much a why do you need to post this? And I just kind of like, well, because I, I want, I want people to see, and it's like, but why? And so there's very much a now being in the position that I am. At what point do I share versus at what point do I um, protect? Yeah. But as a fan and as somebody who researches it, the like it's it, the insider information is what gives you a connection. But at what point do you connect with life versus social life? Yeah. And it's a, a huge thing. What you're speaking to is like, what's the intention behind the stuff you're sharing? Mm-hmm. And then also creating those boundaries in your life between like mm-hmm. – just being with your kids and chilling mm-hmm. out, not feeling like you have to capture everything. And I was really touched by reading a post you read on run on veggies, running on veggies. Oh, yes. um, and you shared like a workout Wednesday and mm-hmm. kind of a typical meal for you. And you spoke about your eating, your history with your eating disorder. Yes. And obviously it sounds like you have a real passion for women's body image issues mm-hmm. um, in sport, both from the academic mm-hmm. and lived experience. Can you share with me a little bit about that journey? Sure. And I think that... Um the interest in the academic side and the research side 100% stemmed from my own personal struggles, if we want to say. That, um, you know, I remember in middle school, again, remember that I am not a good runner. I'm not a runner that's like number one on the team, but I still had a, a middle school coach that would come up and say, you know, you do realize like, if you were smaller, you'd be faster. Whoa. And, um, you know, the whole, you know, what did you eat today? And, you know, in high school, kind of the whole, um, well, you know, this is this is the size of the uniform we're getting. Like, if you don't fit in it, like, you need to do something about it. And, I mean, these are kind of the subliminal, if we want to say, if not, like, very, very um, frank 
um, comments when it comes to like sports and um, living. And then also just being a teenage girl and seeing the images and the Barbie and the Photoshopping and all that. And so I am completely a product of modern day media of and modern day um, female silliness, if we want to say, of, of yeah, an entire decade or more of complete body image issues. And, you know, I jokingly say like a good solid decade of an eating disorder, you know, and um, I mean, I can now say that and come out because um, it's it, it took me almost three years to get out of it. And it really got bad. I mean, really got bad while I was in DC with the Pentagon. So, you know, imagine somebody, you know, 22 years old running as much as I was eventually after my first mar after my first marathon, that's when I said like I really want to get into running. So I wasn't I wasn't eating. I was just running and I was stressed out. And um it got to the point where my parents eventually said like you need to move home and we're going to put you in patient because it got bad and um and so I think because of that, and then I went to therapy and I had a wonderful therapist uh, back home in San Antonio who, um, I mean, totally changed me. And I mean, I was at that point in my life where like eating a bite of pizza or like sitting down with a piece of pizza like, in in front of me created so much anxiety. Like I would cry and I would just like start to shake and stuff. And here I am like, pizza is my favorite food now. So, I mean, it's been a very, very challenging evolution. Um, but because of that, um, it allowed me to see that side, therefore start to research it and kind of understand like, why was I a product of that? Why did it happen? And, you know, I mean, it, it never really stemmed from my mom. I mean, it wasn't that it was very much a social learning, you know, the whole social learning theory that, you know, I, that I used in so many of my research is this idea that like we learn certain behaviors from society and the society of running, if we want to say, the society of like teenagers and college life. You know, I was in a sorority. That like right there is just kind of like a hotbed of uh, emotions when it comes to eating and image problems. Um, so I turned that into a positive and studied it and researched it. And so when, um, when I got asked to write that blog, I said, well, in order for me to properly like talk about my eating, it's almost in a way like I have to give a little bit of a history of where I was and how do I come now? Because I don't, I don't have problems now. Um, luckily I feel like I'm fully, um, cured if we want to say. Um, but it is very much like there is a journey when it comes to the food and understanding the proper context and need and, and understanding that a machine has to be fueled, you know? And, um, I think having kids changed my image of, you know, my body that I hated for so long, that body created two kids. And so, why do I not appreciate it? And that body can run super yeah, fast yeah, and, yeah, no. and do things that you still like. I mean, it's still kind of what we were saying off air is that there's still like you don't know what your limits are no, yet. Like yeah. that body is capable of so much, mm -hmm. including qualifying for the Olympic trials. What was that qualifying race like? Take me there. Um, 
part of me like says like I don't remember I blacked out like I feel like you know I don't really remember um I remember bits and pieces just because I think that sometimes in life for me when I have momentous huge events I can't remember it all because I think I'm so um like I'm so in the moment and I immediately come out of it and like look at it Um, So it was Chicago 2014, and I went with the intention, um, I had had started working with Ben Bruce that July. So I hired him July 4th. It's like our great anniversary, July 4th. So hired him July 4th, um, and then we decided that my, well, my fastest time since then was a 2.57. And so he said, well, why don't you run Chicago, because it's a really great flat Good weather, very predictable race. Um, one of my teammates, Allison Maxson, who's here today, um, was our teammate. She was running it too. She's coached by Stephanie, so Ben's wife. And so he said, okay, well, both of you are right where y'all are, you know, in terms of same time. Why don't, you know, we're going to get Allison to run Chicago. You'll run Chicago. And we, we're both going to give you the goal of 250. Because what we're going to do is kind of chip down each race. We're going to do like three races. And so we we're going to do Chicago. And I think we're going to do one other race and then CIM. Um, And so we said, okay, well, we're going to do Chicago first, and we're going to try to chip away each race down to your marathon time. So we're going to go like, try to go like from 257, we're going to go down to 250, then we're going to try, you know, 245. And then that last third race, we're going to try to go for the qualifying time. So, uh, you know, uh, met up with Allison like moments before the race. I'm like, hi, Allison, I'm Andrea. Hi, Andrea, I'm Allison, you know, and um, where she's in her Wazelle shirt. I was, I was just wearing plain Wazelle because, um, Nobody knew me, like I was just me, nobody, you know, was L, I was on their radar, that kind of thing, but um, I just wore it as a fan. Um, the best part about it is that since it was so cold and I am so novice, I'm so unprepared, like I didn't even have arm sleeves. And so the day before I went to found it, like a city sports, found uh, pink kid soccer socks, cut the toes off of it and like put it as my arm sleeve. And of course the socks are like, two feet long, you know, so it's like just my elbows recovered. I'm like, what was the point of these arm sleeves of just like my elbows covered? But so in my pictures, it's hilarious because you see like this little two foot like pink thing and it's like soccer kid socks. (laughs) So so we, you know, Allison and I said, okay, well, we have the goal of 250. So we just ran and my watch wasn't working because in the city streets of Chicago, couldn't get any GPS signal. So hers was working and we just kind of started running and she's and she's like, you feel good? I'm like, yeah, I feel good. And it was her first marathon or second marathon. And so, she, you know, I, we kind of, I'm like, are you good? I'm good. And she's like, when should we take goo? I'm like, wait till mile seven. You know, we were talking back and forth and she, you feel good. And so we ended up figuring out like we were running like under pace. And she's like, "Are you? should we slow down? I'm like, but I, I feel good. She's, I feel good too. So we just kept going. And so kind of make a long story short, um, I lost her for a little bit at mile 20 because I was getting Gatorade and it splashed in my eyes and I was like burning. And I was thinking, am I going to DNF because I have like Gatorade in my eyes? So she went a little ahead of me because she thought I was next to her. So um, I was thinking at that point, like, do I want to expend the energy to meet up with her? Or I can just kind of stay with her the same distance behind her. And I know that she's the one that's pacing. So I stayed behind her, stayed behind her. Um, And then I started cramping at 23. um, And then at mile 24, um, I was told that I had like 15 minutes left 
to do two miles or I was going to make it. So I, there was no clocks on the course. My watch wasn't working. Allison had gone up a little more because I was cramping. I had no idea of what I was doing. Um, and, um, I knew that I had two miles to do 15 miles or two miles, 15 minutes to do two miles. Sorry. And I was like doing the, the little brain power, the little brain power I had, I was like, it's like seven, seven thirty, seven thirties. I could do seven thirties, you know. And so I had no idea what I, what my time was. I had no idea what I was doing. No one was at the finish line. There was like two volunteers, and all I know, all I remember is crossing the finish line and looking up and going, "Oh my gosh, I just did it!" And there's the kind of like with Sarah Mack. There's a moment where like I just put my hands over my face and I'm just like, I just, I had no idea what I, I just did it. And so you have like this half a mile walk before you have any civilization of any kind. It's not like there's nobody really to cheer for you. And I just remember crossing the finish line. I think one person was clapping for me. Um, and then you have this long walk. I found Allison at the end and she, I just remember her looking at me going, we did it. And I was like, oh my gosh, we did it. You know, and it was, it was kind of unmomentous because it wasn't like this big like shout out. Nobody said my name, nobody really to clap. It was very like quiet and calm, but to see Allison and then she just was like, it just registered and it registered with me. And it was just at that moment, it was like, oh my gosh. And then I still sometimes, um, that moment is so low key um, sometimes I wish, oh, I wish there was like a big, like Andrea Duke from Zenity. I wish there was, you know, there was more pomp and circumstance, but for that moment to have just been like f- with me for me, I think that that's what I cared most about was having that special moment and, um, and then seeing Allison and it was just this major bonding of like, and she was, I think about a minute and a half more, you know, faster than me. So it's really special to be able to see her today and like, to be like, we did it. We did, you know, that yeah, kind of thing. Yeah, we brought here. Yeah. We brought each other here together. Yeah. That's so incredible because yeah. I think a lot of us at this point with running really depend on our GPS watches and we depend on the race timing and the clocks. And the fact that you just really ran that race like totally intuitively mm-hmm. in my feel mm-hmm. is so inspiring to me. And that that was your PR race. Yeah, that was. And again, I mean, we went in thinking 250. And then I come out with 241. That's huge. So that's why part of me, um, you know, it was kind of jokingly suggested by my coach and um, kind of um, a few other people of just like, throw your watch out and just run. And um, my boyfriend Jason and I, we talk a lot about, he loves this idea of like this Greek idea of like Kronos and Kairos, how there's like this Greek understanding of time, how Kronos is the idea of just like literal time of like what's on our watch versus Kronos, which is like living in the moment and those life moments where um, with running, it's so many people live in this Kronos time of what's your pace? What's your pace? Who are you? Like you're defined by your running time. But moments like this, like the trials and moments like Chicago, that is 100% Kron, like Kairos, excuse me, where it's this idea of like the moment. And so you have to have a little bit of like pace and understanding, but then you have this idea of like, but what's more important is the moment. Well, that kind of, that dichotomy comes back to what we were speaking to with Instagram, Mm -hmm. with like actual capturing a moment Mm -hmm. versus just like living Living. in and being present in Mm -hmm. that moment. 
So let's, so when we record this interview, it's the day before the trials mm-hmm. and we'll release this a couple weeks from now. Mm-hmm. So, you know, all will be said and done yeah, know, yeah. <laughs> when people are listening to this. But like, what, tomorrow are you going to wear a watch and what are your goals? Like, how have you prepared mentally and physically for this? What's been different? Yeah, I think the big I answer about the watch, I don't know. Um, part of me, a big part of me doesn't want to wear it just because... I just want to, I want it to be the moment. Oh my gosh, you make me cry. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you make me cry when you're talking about qualifying. So. <laughs> oh my goodness. Because um, this is, this is when it's like, this is when it comes real. I don't know about the time because to me, the time, I don't care. I really don't care. Um, oh, sorry. Um, I could go out, I could go out and run 3.30 and I wouldn't care. Um. I think for me, the moment is so much more than anything. If I qualify, fantastic. If I don't, fantastic. Um, if I'm the last one, fantastic. So um, I kind of don't want to wear the watch because to me, I don't care. Um, and so many people ask me, what's your time? What's your time? What's your time? And I just, I'm like, I have something, but... If I don't, I don't. You know, my 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 family's here. They're, they're here not to watch me, like, finish in a certain time. Um, they're not here. They're, they're here for me in the moment. And so, um, so in terms of what I want to do, like, I want to let it all out there. Because to me, um, this experience represents so much more. And it's like the journey, the 14-year journey to get here from you know, being with my dad and wearing, you know, a butt pack full of like an entire lunch of snacks in my, in my butt pack, um, and wearing like this really thick fleece jacket and snowy weather to, you know, this whole journey getting here of wearing a kit, wearing red, white, and blue, um, you know, having my parents here, um, it's just, it's, it's so momentous. And so the perspective for me is, like, what this means is so much bigger. And I'm not going to say that, like, I'm giving up running um, or road racing. But to me, this is, like, the perfect way to, like, put a bow on the 14 years and, like, send it off for a little bit. And, um... You know, with the idea that after this, you know, I want to get into obstacle course racing. I want to, like, do new challenges. I want to live a bit. I want to, you know, take days off. Um, So I think for me, this is just a way to encapsulate 14 years of, like, pure hell of, you know, life experiences and, and, you know, the good and the bad and the experiences I've had running five hours and running with my mom and running with my dad and, um, running marathons pregnant, you know, I mean, all of this taken into one day to like the ultimate bucket list of running, you know? Yeah. The Olympics, I guess, can be like the, the end all be all. But to me, like if I had a bucket list, it's like, this is it, you know? I mean, sure. If I make the Olympics fantastic, I'll work my 
ass off, excuse me, to like, you know, represent my country. But like, I'm okay with it ending here. And I'm okay, like, putting, like I said, the bow on it and like, sending these 14 years off and trying something new. So for me, it's the perspective is very much running the miles and thinking like how far I've come. Thinking about the early years, thinking about all the experiences I've been through and the roadblocks and the hard times and, you know, the hard life changes I've had to go through and, and what everybody else in my life has had to go through because of this. And then to be at the finish line and having the people that matter the most to me here, um, I think it's just whatever happens, happens. And it's like win-win. Yeah, this is such a celebration for you of so much life experience and so much struggle and so Mm -hmm. much joy to get here. And I just feel really honored to get to be supporting you in it and getting to meet you like before and just Mm kind of know that when I'm watching you. I think um, people don't always realize that like running, obviously, yes, it's for our health. It's an athletic endeavor, but it's also like a way of expressing your human experience Mm -hmm. and your joy and like dedicating yourself to something. Do you ever think about tomorrow, like you're dedicating a race to a person or dedicating it more to your family? Do you see it in those terms at all? Because it sounds like your family has been like the cornerstone for you of supporting this journey. Oh, huge, huge. Um, I mean, everything from um, if necessary, like watching the kids for me to run, you know, when, when my son was in his, you know, when is in his cast, it was like, mom and dad, can you watch, you know, the kids for an hour so I can go run or mom and dad, can you drag the kids to New Orleans and watch me race? Oh, wait, I won that mom, like pushed my kids out so that I had that moment with them. So in terms of like, I want to say like, I'm dedicating this to like me, um, kind of like celebrating what I've done. But what I plan to do is, um, dividing out the, um, the, loops if we want, you know, because it's a loop course. Yeah. So each of the loops, what I'm going to do is like think about somebody in my life and use those loops to kind of be mindful of not only what I'm going through, like in the moment and, and perspective, but then to use those six miles, those that, that loop of six miles to think about an individual in my life that has allowed me to get here and not only think about what they mean to me, but also kind of what they've maybe had to go through and struggle with. So it's kind of, again, perspective, like here I am running in the trials, but oh wait, my sister's gone through this. And, um, um, you know, I'm going to go through the, oh, you know, it really hurts at mile 15. Oh wait, but I'm going to think about my dad and things that he's been going through right now. So it's, it's again, that whole idea of perspective of being in the moment, being very blessed to be here, but then also a bigger picture of people who um, who have helped me get here, their struggles and perspective to what I'm doing, but then also, again, flipping it around and saying why I'm thankful for that person. That's incredible. So it's almost like I'm dedicating the race to me and my 14 years of running, but then each loop is like a little like mini dedication. And then um, kind of that last stretch is for me, you know, again. Yeah, so. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. And that when you're out there on the course tomorrow, there's going to be a lot of what Wazelle women and mm-hmm. Wazelle is the company you're sponsored by. Mm-hmm. What does Wazelle mean to you and how have they been supportive for you in your journey? Like to be a part of an all-women's running company yeah. with your background in academia, mm-hmm. with your passion for women. Tell me about that for you. Sure. I think that it's kind of a 
a bigger, um, like a, like a bigger, yeah. So when, when I, I guess qualified, I had offers from three different companies with Wazelle being one of them. And, you know, I could have gone, you know, bigger if we want to say with a, um, but I, I knew that in my heart, what I believed in was, you know, who, who I am and, and I love the whole aspect of Wazelle, the sisterhood. But I think for me, their big mantra of feminine fierce, that's something that I never knew that that phrase um, until I got to Wazelle, but I knew that that's the phrase that I had taken to be like a mantra for me when I was a mom and when I was going through all the stuff with my daughter and, and with my son. And so the idea of the feminine fierce, that's like, that encompasses what I feel like I am. So, you know, having a sisterhood, I think that, you know, that's beautiful. I think that it's a, it's a company of women. And again, it's not this, I mean, it's like a little bit of like a whole, like a feminism type stuff. That's fantastic. But I mean, the idea of femininity while also being like talons out, that to me is like pure beauty of a woman. So um, when I decided to to sign with them, I mean, it felt like just a natural um, relationship. One, because I love their stuff. I love their clothes. I love the cut. And I think it's very, um, I mean, it's beautiful stuff. And it, and it you know, um, shows off the body well and um, great patterns and all that kind of like the design stuff. of. But I think for me, it was more about what they believe in and what they stand for. And um, and I think that they've been extremely supportive of who I am and, and what I am and what I represent. Um, and they've allowed me to blossom in ways that, um, I've only dreamed of. And then when I approach them about, you know, if I don't make the team, I want to go into obstacle course racing. I mean, they said, you know, there was no hesitation. They said, they said, we're so excited. What do you need? Like, we will be there and back you up. And, but you just have to tell us what a tire flip is. And like, what do you, you do what? You're going to (laughs) get these beautiful kits. You're going to get muddy and like, they might get like, uh, uh, you know, cut up from barbed wire. Like, what are you going to do to our beautiful kits? You know, and all this stuff. So they have been so supportive and, um, kind of, again, that sisterhood has just embraced everyone. And it's, and it's, and it's like a, like, yeah. I mean, it's like I have a thousand sisters. It's like we're meeting for the first I know, time, and but it's like, like but I, I just feel connected. Yeah. And, yeah. It's, and, and again, like as an academic in this war, in the world of sports and sport media, um, their use of social media has been incredible and their use of, you know, their own women in their galleries and the way that they have make these connections online and, and the hashtags. I mean, I use Wazelle in my teaching because, I mean, granted, I'm biased and I love what they do, but I mean, when I'm talking to my students about PR campaigns that allows you to connect with your community and allows, I mean, who is the best person to market a brand is the people who use your brand. And then I'm like, example, Wazelle, like what do they do on their gallery? How do they show off their clothes? They show off their clothes by their, their women, the actual men, women wearing the clothes, all shapes, all sizes from all different parts of the world. If 
you like this piece of clothing, you can click on it and see other people wearing it. And then at that point, do I think I'm going to look good? Do I not? Oh my gosh. Or I don't really know if I like this, but then you see it on somebody else and you're like, okay, I have to have it. You know, so I mean, their use of um, their own runners is just, I think, brilliant. So like acad- like at the academic side and the, the research side of like me is going like, they are brilliant. Oh, and for then sure. just kind of the runner side of me, it's just this idea of connection and feminine fierce and sisterhood. And it's very much like um, kind of that, you know, um, like just pure like girl power. Totally. I mean, they're complete pioneers in mm-hmm. the sport. And the word you use to describe feminine fierce, which is a word you embody, I also mm-hmm. feel like it is related to your alter ego, Dr. Dre. Yes, I know, yes. <laughs> what's, what's the story behind <laughs> that name? And I also want to hear a little bit about like your love of music because oh, I, yes. I studied, I was a double major in college and one of my majors was music. And oh, so awesome. I love reading on your Instagram, just the different oh, songs yeah. you're listening to and like what how music inspires oh, yeah. you. Yes. So, um, yeah. So it was actually one of my students gave me that nickname and um, I, um, I, my classroom, when when I teach, my classroom is very has very much a high level of respect in terms of like I am the teacher and you are the student. Like there is an understanding of that division of respect, those boundaries, boundaries. Yes, but on the same hand, I'm very much trying to connect with them and come on their level. So, um, so whenever I'm talking, mostly in my mass communication classes, I very much bring in kind of real world examples, modern modern day examples. So if I'm talking about a theory big kind of complex theory for me the way I understand it is by example and so I always bring in examples to talk about theories or kind of ideas behind um, certain kind of campaigns and kind of communication ways of doing things Um, and so because music is a huge part of who I am I usually use music and musicians as an example and so I love like rap music and I love um I love all music, and I'll get to that in a second. But, um, but I think uh, when one time I I gave a huge lecture on um, kind of this idea of, um, um, you know, the explicit lyrics and what does that mean in our society, and then it led into expectation stereotypes of races and all that kind of stuff. So we had a big lecture on um, like rap and R and B music and, and kind of these theories behind masculinity and, you know, kind of, it was this really beautiful kind of mesh between, um, you know, black culture, R and B rap, um, but then also these social expectations of, um, of masculinity in music. And so at one time at the very end of the um, lecture, cause I brought in, you know, all these examples of black rappers. And so, and, and at one point, like I, I then started quoting like raps, you know, and I was like, yeah, like in this one lyric, you know, in this one song and like, I'd bring in Eminem and I'd start talking about Dr. Dre or I'd, I'd quote Drake. And one of my students was like, it's so strange. Like, you're just like this, you know, white girl who just like, oh, just like can just spit out like <laughs> rap lyrics. And, and awesome. yeah, and then, he, and then it was actually one of my, um, um, he was a football player for, for the school. And he was just, he was like, yeah, it's like, it's like, you're like Dr. Dre. Like he, and I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, so it's this kind of like this funny thing of like, total white girl listening to rap music i'm a i have a phd doctor andrea dre doctor so it was like this beautiful combination so i remember that day like i was like you know what 
I'm going to change my Twitter. Like as a joke, I was like, I'm going to change my Twitter handle to Dr. Dre. And it just kind of stayed. And I think it's been about three years since that happened. And um, kind of, in, and again, that whole idea of like the boundaries and respect. But I have a lot of my students that like call me Dr. Dre and I'm like, I just love it. Like I just think it's like a beautiful kind of example of who I am and I'm just like totally low key, but yet at the same time, like that level of respect. But I, if I'm going to be connected or like the idea of like me and Dr. Dre, that's like fantastic. But, um, but no music is a huge part of me. Um, and I remember ever since I was little, um, listening to music, connecting with music, um, I feel like there's always a song out there that will either understand you, um, be able to connect with you to, if you're going through something and you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to think. There's always something out there to help you understand a situation. And, um, you know, you, you have moments where you hear a song and you're like, did she write it for me? You know? And, you know, it's like, I have moments like that where I'm like, that's, I needed that song right there. Or, you know, I have moments where like, I don't really know what I'm trying to say and I'm going to send you a song and this is what I'm trying to say. So I think, um, I used to make mixed tapes and I'd have like days where it was like sad mixed tape and I'd put all the sad songs or like, you know, happy mixed tape and I put all the happy songs. And so I, I always used music as kind of a connector and a release um, and an expression of like who you yes, are as a self and um, and you know to say that I've I mean I'm highly influenced by music um, you know ever to, to the point where you know I've had my you know through fashion through talk through um, and I and I um, I very much find that um, this whole idea again of like feminine fierce like I very much turn to without being like weird and creepy about it, but I very much turned to like female artists, musical artists to find that strength and courage and commitment to being of the self. Um, you know, like Madonna, like Gwen Stefani, like Pink, um, Katy Perry, you know, like things like that. I, I think that those women, I don't really want to say, I guess in some ways are like good role models in terms of being yourself that I always remember not really looking up to, but like looking at these women and going like, they're doing what they're, they want to do. They're happy. They're kind of saying like, I'm going to break everything that you expect me to do because I want to do it and not being afraid to do it. And in some ways it was kind of earth shattering, like more so like with Madonna, but the fact that like a woman can say what she want to say, do what she wants to do and no, have no regrets and gain pa- self-power from it. Um, like I always found the connections very much with um, kind of the female artist and wanting to have that kind of, again, girl power aspect. Do you have a theme song for tomorrow <laughs> or a song that you want to like sing in your head during um, the race at all? Could I have like a mixtape of it no um i think it's gonna be to be completely honest um as cheesy as it sounds it's probably you know i i want to say like the typical answer for me would be like till i collapse by eminem or like (laughs) not afraid by eminem and you know things like that or like forever by drake you know whatever but to be honest i think it's i find myself in my head going back to this is gonna to um let it go frozen and i think it's that song 
I, I had that song in my head for when I did Rock and Roll Philly, uh, which was one of my m- most um, solid races um, kind of in the past few years because I just, I had a pace and I did it and I was solid. It wasn't a PR, but it was a very solid controlled race. And in my head, I had Let It Go, it's my, my daughter's favorite song, other than like Taylor Swift. Um, but that song to me is that whole idea of, um, you know, the the surface idea of like, let it go. Like the whole, like if I'm hurting, let it go. If I'm, um, have negative emotions, let it go. If, you know, am I losing? Let it go. Um, but also in a sense of that, that song talks about, you know, you have all these expectations for me, you have all these rules for me. Um, and you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do because I want to make myself happy and I'm going to follow my own path and I'm going to do my own thing. And you're just going to watch me blossom. So I think it's, it's a little bit of like imagining my daughter, like in her dress with her microphone singing and having that image, but then also kind of this letting it go, doing what I want, being that, um, Kairos moment and just, um, you know, blossom. So. Hell yeah. Yeah. I feel like we can't finish this interview without talking a little bit more about the obstacle racing. Because oh, yeah. it's <laughs> awesome and it's, it sounds like a really exciting new chapter yes. that's going to allow you to take your feminine fierce and your strength in a different arena. Totally. So tell me a little bit more about where the inspiration came from to even do that kind of racing. Yes. So um, my boyfriend, Jason, he um, he is an obstacle course racer, elite obstacle course racer. It's like a tongue tie. Um, and when I was coaching him to get faster, his intent was he wanted to get faster. He wanted to do like road racing a little bit, but his intent was to uh, get faster for obstacle course racing. So in order for me to be a good coach for him, um, I needed to understand the elements of obstacle course racing. So, you know, it's a lot of, you know, there are times when you may be running seven miles and then you have to stop and do obstacles, or it could be a sprint where you run, obstacle, run, you know, sprint, obstacle, sprint, obstacle. So it's kind of this element of totally different from just running in a straight line like road racing. So as I'm coaching him, as I'm learning from him and he's reporting back to me of like, yeah, you know, like I was running and then I had to run up this massive hill and then like roll down it in barbed wire. And then I had to like run and do this and then I had to climb a wall. You know, first I'm thinking like, you're nutso. Um, but then on the other hand, I'm thinking like, I'm jealous. And so, you know, then they had some Spartan races on TV and, you know, we would watch them and, um, and, you know, he'd be on the phone and saying like, oh yeah, like that was so crazy. That was, you know, and it's just hearing the excitement from him and feeling the excitement from him and then seeing like the such humanistic part of obstacle course racing. I mean, it is the most, like you are pushed to be on your limits. Um, and I say that now because I've done one. So, um, but the idea of running and you don't know the course, like it's unknown. Like with, you know, with road racing, you can go run the course and you can go, you know, track it and course scouting and all that. Um, but with, um, but with obstacle course racing, like you don't know what's going to come up next. Like you don't know the obstacles. They may like say like, oh, you know, it's 15 miles and they give you half of the obstacles, but then half of them are like, secret, unknown. And so you don't have no idea what's coming up. So that idea of kind of being surprised, Mm. um, being shocked, um, body being shocked, um, and 
kind of challenges you in a totally different way. And Min- the training too. Yes. I mean, you're okay. adding when lifting, like it's a whole new dimension to your training. Totally. And so, um, you know, I mean, I, I lifted and did like functional lifting, um, functional strength training while running. But since, um, Jason and I, we've been working together and he's giving me strength training plans that are power movements. And so it's not like I'm, I mean, I was deadlifting and things like this, but this is more like, you know, lat pulls, pull-ups, um, you know, practicing bucket carries, farmer carries. And so like, I'd have like 50 pound weights in both hands, like walking for two minutes or dead hangs. And it's very totally different from running. Um, but adding that element of strength, I mean, to be able to wear a weight vest and do um, like dead hangs or wearing a weight vest and then taking buckets and like carrying them around like my um, uh, like driveway. And it's just a whole element of a whole different new power and strength and confidence. And so when um, when we decided that like, okay, we're going to do, I'm going to do this. I'm going to come into his world. Um we signed, well, he's done many, many uh, Spartan races, but I signed up for my first one. And it was a little bit of a, I guess, a controversy, if you want to, the fact that I like made the announcement and I'm switching over. And it's like, I had one person say to me like, oh, wasted talent. And I'm going, oh, goodness gracious. Like I need to live and I need to do what I want to do. But I signed up for my first race and went to Miami and it was a sprint. So it was about three to five miles. So I think that ended up being a little, about five miles. Um, and did my first one, like not expecting what was going to go on and what am I going to do? It was like pouring down rain and this like rain is up to your knees and it's muddy and I'm in the beautiful Wazelle kit. You know, here I am like a road racer. All these girls have like body paint on and they're like CrossFit girls. And I'm like standing there like, hi, you know, I'm just me with like my cute little headband and stuff. And so luckily, I mean, I, because I have the, the speed, um, I mean, I'm not going to say that I don't want to come out and say like I have an advantage because I'm fast because it's it's a it's a it's a combined effort. Um, but I mean, I from I ran two days in Miami and you know I could hang um, with the big girls until I come to like a nine foot wall and then I'm like what you know. So um, it, it was a beautiful moment to be able to be in that element and like doing things that I have never done in my life and, you know, hoisting up a 75-pound, like, sandbag that's been dunked in water. You know, I mean, when do you do that in road racing? You don't. And then, like, monkey bars and things like that. So, um, and then on the second day, I ended up podium. On the podium, I got second place, but then I got a one-minute penalty for not doing enough burpees because whenever you miss an obstacle you got to do burpees oh shoot and you have to do 30 burpees and in like the last obstacle I did 28 burpees and so they gave me a one minute time penalty for the two missed burpees which took me down to third place (laughs) so so I now know to scream out my burpee number um but I mean when I finished that and kind of that ever iconic image of me jumping over the fire pit um, to into the finish line. I mean, that feeling of not only accomplishing what I did, um, you know, it was only five miles of running, but it was like 26 obstacles that I had to do. But then jumping over a fire pit um, to podium at my second race um, was, I mean, I don't want to say it was more incredible than, than than doing what I did at Chicago, but it was a totally different feeling of just pure accomplishment and raw humanistic, like, 
I did this and I, I did it and I hurt myself and I'm bloody and I'm bruised up and it is beautiful and I love it and I want to do it again. You know, I mean, to, um, to, to feel that strong mentally and physically, um, is, is probably a lot more than I get out of road racing. So I think once I did that race in Miami, it was solidified the decision to, to move over if I don't make the Olympic team. Um, because, um, you know, I need a new challenge in my life. I need something new. You know, 14 years is a pretty good run at road racing, but I think that, um, I think that my strengths in running are going to be really good for me in, um, in the obstacle course scene. I do have to get stronger. I have to become more obstacle proficient. Um, but that just means, oh goodness, like going out and playing on the monkey bars and throwing spears. Jason got me a my boyfriend Jason got me a spear for Christmas, and so like it's like going over to my friend's house who owns a uh, owns a farm, and I'm like, can I borrow some hay? Because I have to throw a spear to practice for my race. You know, I mean, how fun is that? So, um, so yeah, so I'm really, you know, granted, I want I'm gonna do my best tomorrow. I'm gonna work my butt off and do what I can, um, but I'd have to say that you know, it's really not a it's not a bad uh, second option to go into elite obstacle course racing. And I've already have, I think what we have, like six races already lined up. My first one in April. Which, um, which, which one is that? So it's the Spartan race in Austin. And it's a super, which is about eight to ten miles. Um, and that will be, I guess, um, the kind of the first race. I think we have one before. It's a stadium race up in New York. Um, but kind of the first big race will be Austin in April. Uh, April. And, um, I'll be wearing the, the kit I'm wearing tomorrow. I'm going to put that kit on at the same, um, put that kit on for the obstacle course race in Austin and get it all muddy and dirty. And it's going to be just, it's going to be amazing. So, um, so I mean, again, I mean, I'm going out tomorrow with the full intent of, um, you know, doing what I can and, and if I, you know, why not, you know, going for the, going for the idea of the podium, if I can do that. But if not, like I've got an amazing and beautiful, you know, next life, which in some ways, um, you know, might actually give me a bit more, um, kind of love, I guess. Benefit. Yeah. Tomorrow, what do you want to hear people cheering at you or saying (laughs) to you when you run by? Um, I've already told some family and friends, like, yell certain, like, the joke words and stuff so I can, like, get out of my head and, and certain phrases that'll, like, bring me back into the moment, maybe laugh a little bit. Um, I think my, my daughter's son, um, I'm, I'm sorry, my sister's son, he, he's six. And so he, excuse me, said he's going to make signs and he's going to, you know, when I hear his voice, I'll, like, laugh and giggle and, um, Jason has a few like kind of key funny terms. He's going to yell at me. You know, I think at one point he says, I'm going to yell like guacamole, you know, and when I hear that, I'm going to think of like, oh, like, you know, think of avocado and then think of avocados, think of guacamole, think of Mexican food, think of food, think of like food afterwards, you know, so like that'll make my mind work. But I think it's just for me, it's just, um, you hearing my name, knowing that people are cheering for me in whatever capacity, um, I do like the idea when people scream Dr. Dre. I oh, think I'll that, be yelling yeah. at you. Yeah. Don't even worry about yeah. it. <laughs> I like, you know, because that, that, that in a way, like, that's who I am. That's my alter ego. Um, and it makes me smile and laugh, you know, to think, like, 
you know, all these people out here are so serious and they're like, you know, you know, and I will be too. But I mean, there's an element of, gosh, just enjoy it, you know? And, and I think that that will, yeah. So if you scream Dr. Dre, that'll, that'll bring me back into the moment and like smile in my head, if not smile out loud. And maybe I'll do the whole like peace sign, you know, the deuces. So (laughs) awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for giving me your time. And I, it means a lot that you were willing to talk before the race because mm-hmm. I know this can be a time when, you know, you may want to go inside a little bit mm-hmm. and just reflect. And so to get to be a part of that is really a, an honor. Well, I appreciate it. And I think this was in some ways probably better for me to talk beforehand to put it all into perspective again and remind myself of where I came from. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. What a gift it was to sit down with Andrea the day before the trials. To learn more about how the race went for her, she wrote a beautiful reflection piece on her blog, which I've linked to in this episode's show notes. If you want to receive some daily musical, running, and motherhood inspiration, I'd highly recommend you follow Andrea on Instagram. Her handle is at AndreaDuke1, and reach out to Andrea and I on Twitter. Let us know you tuned in and what really resonated from her story with you. We really would love to know. Did you ever wonder when Andrea was talking about running the marathon, how she actually fuels her run? Well, Andrea is sponsored by today's podcast episode sponsor, Generation You Can. Generation You Can not only makes powder drink mixes, but they also make delicious and nutritious bars, both that are powered by Superstarch, a revolutionary carbohydrate that slowly releases into your body and keeps your blood sugar steady so that you don't have those sugar spikes and crashes. Generation You Can also allows you to burn fat for fuel, is gentle on the stomach, and contains no added sugars, is non-GMO, and gluten-free. Whether you're training for athletic performance or just want a healthy alternative to the other gels, bars, and sports drinks on the market, Generation You Can's products are for you, and they're offering a special discount for Rue listeners. You can save 15% off all You Can products simply by going to generationyoucan.com slash youcanrue or use the code YouCanRoo, that's all capitals, U-C-A-N-R-O-O, at checkout for 15% off YouCan's online store. YouCan's also offering one lucky Rue listener a free fitness trial pack that is a variety of their YouCan products. To get on this giveaway, all you have to do is to leave a review of the Running On Home podcast on iTunes, send a screenshot of your review to runningonhome at gmail.com, and do so before the giveaway ends on March 31st. See this episode's show notes for more information on UCAN's generous discount and learn more about how you can stay healthy, energized, and fit with UCAN's innovative nutrition. Thank you for listening today. Thank you for supporting Running On Ohm. Deep gratitude to each and every one of you. Yes, you. This is your host, Julia Hanlon, and I hope you have a rue-filled day.